Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. As a congregation, we're already having a wonderful weekend. Uh, we're thankful for the great teddy bear workshop that took place yesterday and the good that will come out of that in the lives of so many children. We're thankful that our uh, sixth graders uh, through eighth graders are able to enjoy a time together of being challenged in Bible studies, but also to enjoy fellowship together and to grow closer to God. God blesses us with many opportunities, including the opportunity to be here this morning. Also, we want to encourage you to keep in mind, if there's been a time lately that we've needed you, as a congregation, we need each other this week. Uh, if you'll notice on the Member Connect kiosk and also the uh, Welcome Center, you'll notice that there are several flyers there. There are four pieces of information that pertain to four things that are happening this week that really all of us, if we can be involved in some way, all of us can be praying about it. All of us can be inviting individuals. And then whatever way beyond that that you can be involved, be sure and do that. The Town Hall for Hope is this Thursday evening beginning at 645. It'll be a wonderful way for us to introduce people in this community to us as a congregation. We'll begin that with a welcome and then also an introduction of who we are before we go into the program with Dave Ramsey. Also, we will provide child care. You're needed for that if you can help with that and keep in mind, we want children that come and spend that segment of the evening with us to tell their parents when they leave here, I want to go back to that place. I want to go there again. We want to plant some wonderful seeds. Keep in mind that Bloodmobile will be here from 10 to 2, also on Saturday. Also on Saturday, we have the Single Mom Car Care Clinic. It's a way that we're striving to reach out, especially to individuals that probably are carrying a a burden financially right now. You know, statistically in America, one of the leading causes of poverty is single parenthood. And we as a church want to reach out and help in any way that we can. And with one of their greatest assets, we want to be able to help them in maintaining that. And so if you can help in some way, and one way that is a big need right now is getting the word out. Uh, please take some of those flyers to your workplace, to your neighbors, to family members. Be sure and let those ladies know we would love for them to call in. We have at least 60% of our slots still open, so please help us that week with that. And then finally, I'll mention to you uh, Friends Day. Friends Day has always been a great success. You probably have already picked up one of the postcards and you've noticed on the back the story of the hammocks and we love them dearly. Several years ago, they visited with us for the first time because Erin Crisp invited her study buddy while she was in med school. And as a result of that, uh, they're here and and Chloe is here, and another one's on the way, and what wonderful, wonderful results have come from that. We'd like to see that again this year. Who is it that you've been praying about? Who is it that you can invite? And be sure and, and let them know. Give them a postcard with a time and the date and the place, and let them know that you'd love to take them out for lunch Sunday. Go ahead and make arrangements with them so that they'll be committed to come and invite them to your Bible class so they can easily get to know other people and then also, finally, keep in mind that this year, in an effort to try to double the number of visitors, 
We also want you to invite a whole other set of visitors and invite them to the Sunday evening service. It will actually be in the afternoon at Charlie Daniels Park at 4 o'clock. And following that period of worship, at 5 o'clock, we'll eat some hot dogs together. And 6 o'clock till dark, we'll have activities. There are a lot of activities being planned for the adults, even some for children and for teenagers. So you won't want to miss that. And just a brief announcement about that. There will be shuttles and, and trolleys and things available throughout the park. Most everyone will be asked to park at the old high school that is now Mount Juliet Middle School, and there'll be many shuttles going back and forth there. If you are handicapped or if it's just much more convenient for you, we'll have several sections roped off there and shuttles actually taking you right up to your parking place, and we'll even have some of these padded, comfortable chairs for those of you that are handicapped. And so keep that in mind. We'd love for you to be there and a part of that, but also, very importantly, we'd love for you Uh, to be inviting your neighbors, your family, your friends, and let's reach out and make a difference. I would just remind you that we do not have the entire park reserved. Uh, There will be other guests in the park, and so that's why we're trying to park off the premises. We do not want to give the air that we're coming in and taking over that park. Uh, We want to be good neighbors. And so we want to reach out and be a great example to everybody that we're in contact with that afternoon. The truth is... I hope the park is full before we get there. I would love for us to have the opportunity as a congregation of five or six hundred down there that night, rubbing shoulders with our community and letting them see what the church looks like worshiping, what the church looks like fellowshipping together in a meal and and enjoying each other's presence and actually inviting them to come and to be a part of, of all of that with us. And so be prayerful about that. God is amazing how He can open doors and how He can make things work. And I'm prayerful about... Who will show up there thinking they're just walking their dog, but the reality is they're going to get to know the Lord, and they're going to get an invitation to come sit down and and worship with us, come eat a meal with us. And I hope you're praying about that, and I hope that all of us will do everything we can do to reach souls this week. I don't know of a time in the life of our congregation where we've had more opportunities in one week to do that. And so let's be prayerful. Let's give our all this week, pick up the information you need, and let's leave here this morning ready to serve God by letting the community around us know that we're a church that belongs to Christ and we're a church that loves people. When I was a boy, about 10 or 11 years of age, I raised Hosting calves on a bottle. I bought them at three days old, and that's how I planned on making money and ended up helping pay my way through college. I remember the one particular winter where I was able to save up all year long enough money to buy four baby calves. And I'd go out every morning before daylight and I'd follow the light of my beam out to the barn and I'd switch on the light there in my overcoat and my coveralls on and and I'd stand on those winter mornings and I became mama to four baby calves. I'd tip the bottles up in holders and here they would come running out of the stalls to the front of the barn. It'd only take them 30 or 45 seconds, it seemed like, to to drink a half a gallon of milk by the time they were just a few days old. They truly, truly loved feeding times. But I also remember that winter. And one morning, only three came up to eat. I fed those three and then went looking for the one that was missing back in the stall, laying there too weak to get up. I nurtured it. I gave it a shot. I did what I could do for it to get that bottle of milk down its throat while it was lying on the ground. But by that evening, when I came in from school, I checked on it, and it was dead. 
The next morning, I fed three calves, or at least I tried to, but only two came up to the gate. I looked for the third one, and it too was lying there sick. I tried to give it the bottle while it was lying on the ground. I also gave it a penicillin shot. I nurtured it the best I could. I prayed about it, but that evening, it was dead also. The next morning, only two came up to drink. Only one came up to drink. And the second one was the same story again. But that evening, it had died also. That last morning, I went with my final bottle of milk. And no calf met me at the gate. I went back to find that calf. I drug that calf out to the middle of the barn hall. And I sat flat on my knees. I put the head of that calf over my lap and I began to try to give it a bottle of milk. Not only could I see that all the money I'd made was going to be lost in just a few days from a whole year's work, but also any potential profits was also going to be gone. I talked to that calf and I talked to my God. And my God chose to allow me to learn a valuable lesson that day. You see... After that day, I didn't have to get up early the next morning. I didn't have to brave the cold. I didn't have to walk through the dark. After that day, I didn't have to stop by the feed store at Perina and buy that expensive powdered milk that cost me a lot of money. After that day, I had a lot of freedom. When I came in from school in the afternoons, I didn't have to worry about being mama to four baby calves. I didn't have to worry about hauling water in five-gallon buckets from the spring to the barn and hoping I could stay in rhythm so I could keep my pants legs dry. You see, after that day, those calves were not taking up any more of my money, any more of my time, any more of my freedom. Because that day, I learned a valuable lesson. Dead calves don't ask much of you. I wonder how many of us have ever said, you know, the church is always asking for something. The church is always asking us to invite somebody. The church is always asking us to give generously. The church is always expecting somebody to take responsibility for some ministry or for some good. And you know what? That's the beauty of growing pains. You see, I'm not a genius or a scholar, but I've lived long enough to figure this out. The pain of growing is much, much better than the pain of dying. You see, a growing congregation doesn't ask anything. A dying congregation doesn't ask anything of you. A dying congregation doesn't ask for your money or for your time. A dying congregation doesn't ask anybody to be responsible. And this morning, in a loving way, but yes, a straightforward way, I tell you, if you're visiting with us this morning and you're looking for somewhere just to blend in, somewhere that you won't have to do anything, I assure you, you're at the wrong place. If you're not willing to change your heart and your life, you'll probably want to visit somewhere else. 
because we figured out something that's very, very true. And that is a growing church will always have growing pains and we kind of like those pains of growing. As a matter of fact, when we study through our action series in the book of Acts, there are two things that become very, very clear. The Lord shows us in the way Luke records this, He wants us to see that the church is to always be about growing. The church is to always be about fulfilling that great commission. And in addition to that, as we'll see this morning from the scripture reading that's already been capably read, we see that that growing church will always have pains. There will always be difficulties. But let's think about it. Did the Lord really intend for the characteristic of the, His church to be growth? You remember back in Acts, the first chapter, when the apostles were being prepared for the beginning of the church? And do you remember in verse 8 when they were told that you should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? And then do you remember as we go to Acts, the second chapter, that church began? Now, if you'll notice back in Acts, the first chapter in verse 15, there were only 120 disciples waiting there in Jerusalem. But yet when we read in Acts, the second chapter in 41, we read about 3,000 souls being added to them. So now we would guess that the church is somewhere between 3,200 and 3,300 of adults. And then we read further about the healing of the lame man and the result of this created a lot of attention and the power, not only of the miracles, but the message of Jesus Christ, many responded. And so when we read in the fourth chapter in verse 4, even though the Sadducees were trying to persecute Christians, we read in verse 4 at the end that the number of men came to be about 5,000. So if there were 5,000 men, we would guess that there would be at least a total of 10,000 in the Lord's church. Isn't that amazing that from the second chapter to the fourth chapter, there is somewhere around a growth of, of two to 7,000 in increase. And then we see that the teaching and the preaching continues. Even though they are thrown in prison, the apostles that is, and even though they are persecuted physically by being beaten, Still, the work of the church continues to increase. When we see in the fifth chapter in verse 14, we see that not only is it the work, but it also is souls. Again, we read in 5 and 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. How many believers have to be added to the Lord this time if we went from 120 to 3,000 to probably between five and 10,000 adults. And now a couple of chapters later, he says, let me give you another update. Here's another update. Not just a few are being brought to the Lord, but multitudes are continually being brought to the Lord. You see, that is the background for the setting where we have Grecian widows that are being neglected of the daily distribution of food. But Luke doesn't just say, hey, We've got a problem here. As Luke records this, Luke puts it in the context of probably what caused this problem. Look again to the 6th chapter in verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Isn't that interesting? 
now in those days. Luke, what were those days you're talking about? He says, I'm talking about the days when the church just continued to multiply time and time again in size. Well, what did it create? It created a problem or leadership that's truly godly and courageous leadership would look at this problem and say, it created an opportunity to address a problem with a godly solution. Listen, if, if you are the head of your home, if you're a leader in the church, for that matter, even if you're a leader in the business world, I beg you, if you want to be successful, look to the scriptures and see the fact that what leaders embrace is problems. Because any family that is growing will have problems. Any church that is growing will have problems. Any business that is growing will have problems. And so if there is someone that sees themselves in a leadership capacity but says, hey, don't bring me your problems. I don't, I don't want to deal with problems. What you're literally saying is, number one, I don't want to be a leader. Number two, I'd rather be a part of something that's dead. I like to see dead calves in my barn. Because I don't have to feed those. I don't have to care for those. I don't have to put money into those. All I get at that point is I get just sad memories. And I'd rather have sad memories of what used to be than have to have responsibility. Isn't it beautiful here that the church has grown in such a rapid way? But isn't it interesting that the growing pains are readily identified by Luke? Some would actually say the glory days of the church are over. You know those days where in the first five chapters we read about all this growth with the exception of the fifth chapter of that immorality, that lying of Ananias and Sapphira? It just seemed like that, that the church was going to be a perfect institution on earth. I know God's plan is perfect, but we're not perfect. And so we see Ananias and Sapphira and we see that immorality, but when we come to the sixth chapter... This problem here is not tied to anyone's immorality. What is this problem tied to? Luke ties it to growth. What happened? Maybe they grew literally in the area of the Hellenist widows that their background was Greek. Maybe it was literally their growth that produced this problem. Or maybe, and again, if you're a leader in any capacity, I urge you to file this away. I promise you it's worth applying in your life. It may have been that they grew in this way. It may be that as leaders, they began growing to handle the urgent things and they failed to tend daily to the important things. Can you imagine some of the urgent things that must have been coming about in the life of their, their conversations each day as they said, wow, you know, I, I really didn't expect for us to have another thousand that were baptized last week into Christ. Can, can somebody give me suggestions of where we're going to meet Sunday? Any of you that are in leadership in the life of this congregation, what would we do if 300 souls were baptized this week? We'd be sitting down saying, where's everybody going to go to Bible class? How soon can we start two Bible class sessions? Can we find enough Bible class teachers? Are we going to have to go to three worship services? Can you imagine the talk that would have to take place? Friends, can you imagine the talk that was having to take place in the life of their congregation? Can you imagine a church that met daily in individuals' homes? Can you imagine them saying, how are we going to figure out a way to make sure that there's enough homes for everybody to meet in on a daily basis? 
It may have been that they were so busy caring for all those fires, all of the urgent things that had to be taken care of that week, that some of the important things, very important things like caring for widows was actually neglected. It might have also been the fact There might have been somebody there, and I'm not saying to you that the Scripture suggests this. I'm just brainstorming with you for a moment. It might have been that some of the leaders thought, you know, fulfilling the Great Commission in Matthew, the 28th chapter, in 18, 19, and 20, tells us to go out and teach and baptize and teach again, observing all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Now, can you imagine if 3,000 souls are taught and they're baptized and then somebody has to continue teaching to get those first principles to become grounded? And then before you turn around twice, another couple of thousand have been taught and baptized and, and first principles are being taught again. And before you can turn around again, it might have been five or 6,000 more being baptized. I wonder if there was anyone saying, you know, I tell you what, This teaching and baptizing and teaching is the most important thing. And somebody says, but what about these widows over here? And can you imagine somebody saying, look, these spiritual things are more important than the physical food for a widow. I'm not suggesting to you that that was said, but I will strongly say to you what this passage reveals to us that God at this point has no tolerance for taking His work and dividing it up in physical and spiritual. If the Lord commissions the church to take care of widows, that becomes a spiritual work. If the Lord commissions the church to take care of orphans, that becomes a spiritual work. And isn't it interesting that in the solution that's given here, God never says, stop teaching, stop baptizing, and stop teaching again. But what we do see in this solution is that the apostles are saying, we have a role and we have a responsibility that we will not neglect. But what we will do as godly leaders, we will find a solution where we will add additional men. And we'll talk about some of this tonight of being a spiritual congregation that says we cannot neglect any aspect of God's work. What's more important, taking care of our widows or reaching our community? And fortunately, in God's Word, we don't have to make that decision. In God's Word, we can say God's work is equally important. We just need to make sure that each of us individually finds our place and we fulfill our role. Because as a church family, and we'll close with this, this morning, but I want to go ahead and plant the seed. As a church family, there's not any individual here that can do everything, but everybody together must do everything. We can't neglect any aspect of the Lord's church. So for the next few minutes, I would like for us to think about, even in times of growth, it is never right to neglect widows. I grew up, I would have no idea the first time I heard it. But I can tell you, I'm not exaggerating if I tell you that I've heard it a hundred or probably 500 times or maybe even a thousand or 2,000 times in my life. I've heard my daddy say, Son, you always be good to widows.
and you look after them because God's not going to have tolerance for people that won't care for widows. I grew up with that being a part of my core values. I don't know if you grew up with that, but I want to share with you this morning some passages so that you'll see that my dad wasn't talking from his own wisdom. He was talking as a man that knew the heart of God and the Word of God. I hope you have your Bible and you'll turn back to Exodus, the 22nd chapter. This is the beginning of the old law. I know it's not the beginning of the Bible, but when we talk about Moses' law, it literally, the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus, the 20th chapter. And then God is going to give many laws to Moses that Moses is going to come off the mountain and he's going to write those down. And if you look in the 24th chapter, when he writes those down, he calls them the book of covenants. And he reads that book of covenant to the children of Israel. And the children of Israel says, we will keep the law of the Lord. Well, what does that book cover? So now think about it. God is beginning his law with Israel. In other words, he's saying, this is what I expect of you. This is what I expect of you to me. This is what I expect of you to each other. This is what I, respect of, I expect of you religiously. This is what I expect of you civilly. Now, with that in mind, let's immediately just jump in the middle of this book of covenants. And we're in the 22nd chapter. And I'd like for you to notice verse 22. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. Can you imagine when Moses read that? And the people knew that this was the Almighty God that had just sent the ten plagues. These people had heard the midnight cry as God had allowed death to pass over and take the life of every firstborn person and creature in Egypt. And that same powerful God is standing outside of Egypt now through the mouth of Moses saying, you want to make me not just angry, but you want to make me hot? You take advantage of a widow. Or you neglect a child. And he says to the leaders, to the men of families and of churches, he says to the leaders, I'll make your wives widows. And I'll make your children the orphans. Friends, it may be a widow in our physical family. It may be a widow in our church family. But rest assured, from the beginning of time, God has established very, very clear expectations that families would take care of families, and especially the aging family members. Isaiah can't get any deeper than 17 verses in his long book of Isaiah without mentioning defend the fatherless and plead 
for the widows. In other words, stand on their behalf. But when we go to Luke, the 20th chapter, if you will be turning to Luke, the 20th chapter, we're still at this time living under the old law and the Israelites aren't doing so well. By this time, many of them are called scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. And this particular reading here in Luke, the 20th chapter, we begin in verse 45. And he's talking about the scribes. And he tells how they have become very arrogant. And he's going to talk especially about the leaders. The scribes were leaders. And notice what he says in 46. They were scribes who desired to go around in long robes. They loved the greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places of the feast. You see, what it is is their religion and their life had become all about them. It wasn't about God. It was about, look at me. I'm going to wear different clothes than you're going to wear because I want you to treat me better than you treat everybody else. And when we come together in a religious setting, I'm not going to sit with you. I'm going to have a special seat made and I'm going to sit at a higher place so that it'll appear that I have great honor. And when we're in the marketplace, don't you dare call me by my first name. You address me by a title. You call me rabbi. You call me teacher. It wasn't just their arrogance about themselves But isn't it interesting that pride always causes us to think less of other people? Do you realize when we stop and consider, why do we have the problem of abortion today in America? Arrogance. Pride. Says, I want to think more about me. I want to think more about what I want. I'm not going to think as much about others. What causes some families to neglect widows in their family that are aging or any family members that are aging? It's pride. It's arrogance. It says, give me special seats in life. Give me special recognition. Everybody look at me. Everybody acknowledge me. And God, Christ, is looking at these leaders and he's talking to the apostles who are going to be the leaders of the church that we're studying about right now in the book of Acts. And he's pointing to those leaders and he's saying, don't lead my church like this. We're not going to have special robes. We're not going to have special seats. We're not going to have special titles. We're all going to be brethren But notice how people start being neglected in times of arrogance. Read verse 47. Talking about the scribes who devour widows' houses. And for a pretense make long prayers. Summary, these will receive greater condemnation. How bad's hell? I don't really know how to put it into words. I know passages that the scripture says and I know how I've envisioned it in my mind. A lake of fire and brimstone, darkness, grown men gnashing and gnawing their teeth, yelling and screaming because of the pain, and it lasting not for a moment or for a day or for a year, but for eternity. How bad is hell? Now ask this question to yourself. How bad is hell for someone who takes advantage of a widow? And Jesus Christ on this earth looked men in the eyes and he says, I tell you, hell's going to be worse for you than it is for other people. God is serious about a growing church never neglecting anyone. Everybody in the life of a church family is important. And for those that may need additional support, 
and care and nurturing, God makes it very clear the responsibility that we have as individuals, but also as a church family. Be turning, if you will, to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, I did not know we were out of time. We've got to close here. Look in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, verse 4. If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn first to show piety at home to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. What is it that God expects of the church? Please get this, as we have to make the point quick, but please get this. God expects the church to teach that every family individually is first responsible for their widows. Listen, as a church family, we ought to be willing to do anything that a widow needs. But God requires us as a church family to first hold the physical family responsible. It is not right to allow a family to call themselves Christians and support their neglect of the widow that's in their family. In other words, take care of your home first. Make sure that if you have a mother, a grandmother, or an aunt that is a widow in your family, you make sure that you as a physical family exalt her as a queen. You make sure that you set such an example when other neighbors around, when they talk of her situation, that the summary is this. Oh, her kids and her grandkids and her nieces and nephews, they take really good care of her. They love her dearly. But if a widow does not have a family or does not have a family like that, as we read the rest of the fifth chapter, he makes it very clear that for widows that are older than the age of 60, the church is supposed to be willing to do whatever support is needed to take care of that woman. Now, it is in this setting that he says that the physical family won't care for her, that they're worse than infidels, unbelievers, atheists. How serious is it to neglect widows? Condemnation is going to be greater. God looks at you as an atheist, an unbeliever. But what He expects of us as a church family is take care of them. You remember James 1? What is pure and undefiled religion? For God is this, to visit. Go with open eyes. To visit widows and orphans in their affliction. I want to challenge you as we look at this next screen right here. I want to challenge you to ask yourself the question, what are you doing to support widows in the time of their grief? What are you doing to involve them in your life? What are you doing to serve them in their home with things that maybe they can no longer do themselves? What are you doing to drive them and to give them the mobility that they would long to have again if that is the situation in their life? What are you doing to involve them in ministry so that they still can find a productive life? Let's make sure that as a growing church, we realize that there will always be growing pains. We don't run from that. We don't, we don't become embarrassed about that. That's just a fact. There will always be growing pains. But let's embrace them to say, we want to find godly solutions. And for this early church, they found a solution. They were not going to stop until they had those widows taken care of. This morning, that's the kind of God we serve. We serve a God who makes sure that He communicates to us clearly we're valuable. It doesn't matter what you think you bring to the table. God loves you because of who you are. You're a person made after His image. 
We're not going to work our way to heaven. We're not ever going to have a great enough self-worth that we deserve heaven. We're all going to be saved by the grace of God. And we're going to be placed in a family that loves God. And we're going to serve each other. And we're going to strive to reach out to our community. And when our life is over, we'll spend an eternity together. God bless us in that effort. If you're not saved this morning, why not be a part of that kind of family? Why not be baptized into Christ? Maybe you've been added into Christ and and somewhere along the way you've become unfaithful to His family and to Him and you want to come back home. If we can help you in any way comes, we stand as we sing.